like to greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his grace and in his peace. And today I'm going to be speaking to you about having victory against the odds. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know how big your giant is, how big the mountain is, how big the problem is perhaps that you're facing. But I'm here to tell you that you can have victory no matter the size of the opposition. Why? Because God is for you and his grace is sufficient no matter what. And I'm going to base what I'm teaching on a biblical account that reads rather like a superhero movie because you're going to see that one man with his assistant faced an army of 30,000 enemy troops and still conquered. Uh, the scripture talks about how Jonathan, the son of King Saul, and his armor bearer win an extraordinary battle against the Philistine army. And so I'm going to go straight to the text here and set uh, the context for you to see how this came about and how this is written for our own edification to generate faith in our own hearts because the God of yesteryear is the God of today. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That which he did in the past, uh, he'll do again today. These testimonies, these stories of the ancient heroes, the heroes of faith, are written for us to edify us in our faith, to believe. And actually today in the new covenant, we have a covenant based on better promises. So what happened in the past, surely is going to happen to you who believe as well. So looking at the scripture here in 1 Samuel 13 and 19, and we're setting the context here. The scripture says, Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. Swords or spears. So what had happened is that the Philistines had conquered Israel. And not only that, but now they had literally subdued them, and they'd subdued them by confiscating their weapons and not permitting them to make any new ones. And I want you to remember that the Old Testament stories reveal to us the spiritual battle that's going on around us today. So they reveal the truth in our lives too, okay? And here, swords uh, represent the Word of God. So, like I said, the Old Testament is representative. It's a type it's a shadow. So the, is, the Israelites, they represent the people of God, the Philistines, the enemy of God. And so too, the sword represents something. And scripture is very clear. In Ephesians 6 and 17, Paul writes, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hallelujah. So we need to understand that the enemy... He is afraid of swords, okay? He's afraid of the Word of God. Just as the Philistines wanted to confiscate the weapons from the Israelite people, so today the enemy wants to take the Word of God away from people, okay? He wants to confiscate it. He wants to not permit it to be propagated. Why? Because the only thing that can defeat the enemy is the sword, is the word of God. The enemy, our, the enemy of our souls, the enemy of the, move of, uh, of the move of God, fears the written word of God. He does not want God's people to have access to the word of God. And that is obviously because the enemy is overcome by this. 
and this alone, the Word of God. Now, of course, the classic example that shows that is when Satan confronted Jesus in the wilderness and Jesus overcame him. He defeated Satan. Uh, how? By speaking out the written Word of God. He said, uh, man cannot live by bread alone. He said, do not tempt the Lord thy God. You see, Jesus didn't say stay silent. He knew the word and he spoke the word. And also he didn't just say in a sense the first thing that come, came to his head, an idea, a thought, a personal revelation. No, he spoke out that which was written. Satan, it is written. And as he said that, like a sword coming out of his mouth, the devil's lies were overcome, okay? The devil's power was defeated and the devil had to leave him for that season, okay? So this is a model and an example for us. We must do the same. You overcome the devil by quoting the written word of God. So if the devil lies to your mind, or causes a negative thought, or causes a negative circumstance for you, you must declare the written word of God, and you must speak it out, okay? It's not good enough just to think it. Jesus said it. It's the spoken word, the spoken written word, okay? So, for example, if fear comes your way, then speak out 1 Timothy 1 and 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you can say that to the enemy. You can say that to the spirit of fear that is trying to get on you. You can say, it is written. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. And that will break that attack against you. Likewise, if sickness comes your way, you can declare Isaiah 53 and 5. By his stripes, we are healed. You apply it to yourself. By his stripes, I am healed. In fact, as Peter does, you can even put it in the past tense. By his stripes, we were healed. I was healed. Because faith makes a claim on that which has already been conquered by Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Hallelujah. So you see that we need to memorize the written word in order to be armed uh, okay, and victorious. And then we need to speak out that written word in order to overcome. Okay, now moving on in this story, in, in verse 22, the scripture goes on to say, So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. So this shows us that the only two people who had a sword were the king and the prince. Hallelujah. But the reality is the people, none of them, none of the people, any of the people uh, had a sword. And this shows us that the devil is not only afraid of the sword, but also he tries to stop the leaders teaching the people the word of God. Okay, so he doesn't want the leaders to train their people to use swords, so to speak. Okay, remember we're looking at a, a story, a physical, practical story to show a spiritual issue. 
Why is this then? So they, the enemy doesn't want the people to get the word of God, to have revelation on what I'm teaching today. Even this, this broadcast to you, the devil is against it because I'm equipping you to use a sword to overcome the enemy wherever you are and no matter the circumstances. Sometimes, you know, we have technical issues, we have internet issues, we have all sorts of stuff, you know, to try and get these teachings out to you. And we can know that there is a spiritual battle against this word going forth because there's power in this word. If you get what I'm teaching today, you're going to conquer the devil in every front and in every turn. Hallelujah. Okay. But we know the enemy is against us. Okay. Why? Because when people get equipped with the sword, when they get equipped with the word of God and understand how to apply it, okay, then great armies of equipped saints rise up and storm and destroy the gates of Hades, the kingdom of Satan. Hallelujah. So this is why these teachings are absolutely vital for you to tune into and get, get, uh, get as much as you can and can as much as you get in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now think with me a little bit about um, uh, 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 the past or past history, okay? Uh, one of the glories of the Reformation was the fact that thousands of people who had not access to the Bible could now read it for themselves. This is the thing that caused a massive move of God across Europe and across the world 500 years ago, okay? And that move of God was a result of a number of factors. Firstly, if you remember, um, new Bible translators such as Luther in German and Wycliffe in English produced versions of the scripture in the spoken languages of the day, such as German and English, okay? Until then, the Bible was only written in Hebrew or Greek or Latin, and therefore only scholars could understand them, all right? But now they had these modern translations that every common man could read. And that's why Luther was so persecuted. It's why Wycliffe was persecuted and eventually put to death. Literally, for translating the Bible into his own language. It seems extraordinary that you can be put to death for it. But you only understand that because Satan is against it. Satan used the powers of be of the age, the people who were controlling, dominating, like the Philistines over the Israelite people. He used those powers to stop the word or try to stop the word of God going forth because Satan knew if the whole mass of Europe get a hold of this stuff, then Europe's going to have revival. Millions of people will be saved and experience the blessings of God here on earth. And so it was a spiritual fight. Hallelujah. And then added to that, another factor, very interesting factor, was the invention of the printing press. And of course, in times of old, what they had to do was very meticulously and laboriously, literally scribes had to copy, writing out one page of scripture onto another page of scripture. And you can imagine the time it would take to do that, to produce just one Bible, concentration, expense. But now with the printing press, they could literally, they could make prints of every page really, really quickly. And that meant that masses of Bibles were produced. They went to the people, the cost came down, hallelujah. People began to read the Bible for themselves and the truth set them free 
and gave them victory over the enemy of the time. Hallelujah. Over the, the, the devil who was working against them. Hence the Protestant Reformation. Hence so many people came into the kingdom of God. And we are the fruit of that today, my friends. So you can see this issue. We've got to get the word of God to the people. The written word that is then applied into their lives. You know, in like fashion, American Bible teacher Kenneth Hagin in the last century was instructed by the Lord to teach my people faith. And I've learned so much from him in my early Christian walk. And really, his ministry taught hundreds of thousands of believers of the need to believe and speak out the promises of God in order to experience uh, God's blessings. Hallelujah. And this literally mobilized churches and and great movements of people who had been reading the scripture but now they realized that they needed to apply the scripture teach my people faith teach them how to find a promise and believe the promise and speak out the promise and by doing that you overcome in your circumstances hallelujah so and even today we're obviously emphasizing the need to understand confess what the gospel of grace why are we emphasizing that we've got to read the scripture uh, in with new testament eyes to see that it's actually all about the forgiveness of sins it's all about the grace of god in christ jesus and as you see that and as you speak that out literally what's happening now is that millions of believers are being set free from condemnation and this is fantastic I tell you, I'm an evangelist, but I'm also a teacher. And um, I can see that when a believer gets free from condemnation, suddenly he becomes a powerful tool in the hands of the Lord to become a great soul winner, to become somebody who's used in the air of signs and wonders. And there's a boldness about him. Why? Because there's now no longer any condemnation. Now he prays big prayers and dreams big dreams and does great acts because there's no condemnation. He's free. He knows of his position in Christ Jesus. He knows that what God did for his son he'll do for us because we're in Christ Jesus. So this creates a a wonderful great army of believers who are now rising up and boldly advancing. Hallelujah. They know how to access God's favor, not based on their own merit, but on the merit of Christ. And this is liberating. And so, but all this is leaders uh, getting revelation and teaching the people. And I just thank God that again, this revelation that every member is a minister, every member is a teacher, every believer is a high priest to the glory of God. Every believer is called to be a testimony, called to be an evangelist. Wow, the devil is against this preaching. But I pray that you stay tuned in because this is exactly what God needs to get to his people. Hallelujah. So we're now emphasizing to believers that every member is called to preach and teach and evangelize. And that is going to bring bring the biggest move of God this world has seen in uh, uh, into existence now in these last days. We're going to see God's kingdom advance like never before. And so the point is that leaders have been training their people to also have and use a sword. For this is the only way that the enemy's work is overcome. Okay, now I want to move on uh, in the scripture now and show you how uh, you should not worry if the odds are against you. Okay, so here in verse 1 of chapter 14, 
The scripture says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. Listen to this. But he did not tell his father. And Saul, his father, was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Let's go to the next slide. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. Okay, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Then Jonathan, jumping ahead to verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Wow, so much in there that really is going to feed our souls. So again, a little bit of context here. If you drop back to the previous chapter you'll read in verse 5 that actually the Philistines had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen okay now we just read that Saul had 600 soldiers uh, with him okay so that was already massive odds against them okay they were stacked against them uh, but Saul, who had the soldiers of Israel, and let's remember that Israel, we're going to see this in a moment, they were God's chosen people. It was God's covenant nation. He also, so he didn't just have the soldiers, he also had the priests with him. He had the ephod and the, and the priests. In other words, Saul had the, was the king, he had the priests, they were together, but they had no power. So the odds were against him, but if you don't have power, then it doesn't make any difference. You see, in a sense, Saul, with his soldiers and his uh, priests, represent religion, okay? They had an out appearance of godliness, but they didn't have any power. Now, this story, of course, contrasts Saul uh, with Jonathan, the father with the son. And in contrast, Jonathan is a picture of dynamic faith. He arrives on the scene and he calls the Philistines these uncircumcised. And of course, this is covenant talk. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. Those who have a covenant with God always succeeded. Why? Because the Lord was on their side. It was a covenant. You're, you know, in a covenant, you would share things. So whatever you need, I'm here to supply. So even though the odds were against them, God, of course, makes the difference. Hallelujah. So the Lord was on their side. And when you have a covenant, your battles become the Lord's battles. So no matter the odds being against them, you could still succeed. So Jonathan had that revelation. He said, well, look, these uncircumcised are against us. So it doesn't make any difference that we've got so few. Okay. And actually, it's interesting that Jonathan used the Lord Yahweh when he said the Lord. Okay. The word there is Yahweh or Jehovah. When he said, for nothing restrains the Lord for saving. There it is. The Lord for saving by many or by few. You see, in scripture, the word Lord is translated in English 
for two Hebrews, Hebrew words. One is Elohim, which is the name of God in relation to his creation. But Yahweh, or Jehovah, as it's used here, is always in relation to his dealings with mankind, his covenant with his people. So in other words, Jonathan's saying, they are the uncircumcised, but we have a covenant-keeping God on our side. Hallelujah. And he's going to fight for, that, for those of us who are circumcised against the uncircumcised. Amen. So you say, well, pastor, what's all that about? That's all talking about circumcision. Um, you know, that sounds like something uh, uh, very outdated and just for the Jewish people. No, my friend, here's the glory of the New Testament. The scripture says that today we have all been circumcised in the heart. That's the real issue, okay? Physical circumcision of the foreskin was a type and shadow of the reality that we have now by being born again. We become circumcised in the heart. We are God's covenant people. Hallelujah. And that means God fights on our side no matter the odds. Our battles are his battles. Amen. Hallelujah. So um, let's go on to the next point here because in verse 7 we read these amazing words so his armor bearer said to jonathan having heard jonathan's great affirmation of faith he said do all that is in your heart go then here i am with you according to your heart i just love that do what's in your heart don't do what's in the natural mind don't do what fear is doing or others are doing be led by your heart be led by your spirit be led by that fire within and then he says here i am with you hallelujah according to your heart in other words you can count on me i'm going to stick closer to you than a brother hallelujah now again put this into context because we just read before that Jonathan did not tell his father, okay? Why didn't he tell his father? See, he didn't listen to his father, but he did listen to his armor bearer. He didn't listen to his father, it's obvious why. Because he knew his father would try to dissuade him from his plans, okay? But he did tell his armor bearer, okay? Because again, he knew his armor bearer. He knew the response he was gonna get. His armor bearer replied with these words of support and affirmation. Do everything that's in your heart. I'm with you, Jonathan. And so both Saul and the armor bearer represent two things in this story. Saul represents the natural mind, okay? The man who depends upon his own strength. The man who looks and does the calculation. Uh, they're less than us and, you know, and they look big and we look small and, and so forth, okay? So that's the natural mind. But the armor bearer represents the spiritual mind. In fact, I believe he really does represent the Holy Spirit, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, the one who will never leave us or forsake us, the one who gives us his strength. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter, the one who comes to strengthen God's people and accompany us wherever we go. So we've got the Holy Spirit upon on our side. And there, here comes the fourth principle. Don't tell those who won't support you if you want to have victory against the odds. You need, to, you need to determine in life who to walk with, who to listen to. See, the big question in life is whose voice are you going to adhere to? You can either be led by the natural mind 
or by the spiritual mind. And if you think about it, you've got both those voices in your head. You've got to win that battle on the inside. You'll either be led by self-preservation or by self-denial, by a desire for comfort or a desire to live for a cause. You see the difference there. And if there are others around you who don't understand your mission in life, don't tell them. Simple as that, okay? Because those people will only throw water on the fire in your heart. What you want to do is speak to God first and foremost because he, hallelujah, his spirit is with you. Amen. It's green lights from him. Go and do all that is in your heart. The psalmist said that God delights in giving us the desires of our hearts. So, you know, I like to say this. Many of us think or believe that God wants us to do his will. Amen. But actually the psalmist is saying that God delights in doing our will. It's like a dance between humanity and divinity. This is the covenant we have. Sometimes we're led of the Spirit and we follow Him and sometimes we're led by faith and in a sense He follows us, okay? So speak to the Lord first of all. He's always going to encourage you. Also speak then and share with other Spirit-filled people around you. They're going to support you and they're going to encourage you. They're going to fan the flames within you rather than try to put them out. So Jonathan told his armor bearer uh, that if the Philistines said to them, come up, uh, then this would be a sign that God had given them the victory. Now, this is just extraordinary. So Jonathan was saying to to his armor bearer, look, we're going to stand before them. Okay, there's a great garrison on the top of this mountainside. And they're going to see that there's just two of us and there's thousands of them up there. And if these Philistines say to us, look, come up here and, um, and we're going to show you a thing or two, then that's actually our sign that God's given them into our hands. Now, if that isn't faith, I don't know what is. Because of course the Philistines were going to say that. So it just shows that Jonathan wasn't depending on his own strength. Hallelujah. You see, the Philistines were full of self-confidence based on the size of their army of 30,000 men, 6,000 uh, horsemen. Okay, But Jonathan, in contrast, had his faith in the Lord, the Lord who saves by many or by few. Hallelujah. And that's why in verse 12, he said, come up behind me for the Lord has delivered them into the hands of Israel. And this is just a fantastic statement because it reveals a key principle of faith. The Lord has delivered. He's already given the victory to us. That's what Jonathan was saying. And I'm here to say that to you today. The Lord has already given the victory to you. That's how you have to see things. That's how faith sees and faith thinks. You see, the battle from heaven's point of view is already fought and won. It's merely a case of following up on what God has already secured for us. Okay, so just as it was then, so much more now under the New Testament in the New Covenant. Why? Because Christ has already conquered the enemy and secured victory for us. 2,000 years ago at Calvary. He has already, the scripture says, disarmed powers and principalities. So think with me here, the devil's basis for accusation against us was a thing called the written requirement of the law, but that has been nailed to the cross with Christ. Hallelujah. 
In other words, all the accusation against us has already been nullified. Amen. That's why there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So, Christ's victory is now our victory. His death was our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His position, seated far above every power and principality, is now our position too, for we are seated in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. These powers and principalities are underneath your feet. Now is the time to actually just enforce that victory through the confession of faith. Hallelujah. And I want to jump now to the fifth principle here, which actually relates back to that verse we've just read. But it's this, do things for the body, not just for yourself. If you can drop back to that last verse for me, you can see that Jonathan says, for the Lord has delivered them into the hands of Israel. Go ahead to the point. So this is very precious too, my friends, and I want you to see this. Um, I want you to notice that Jonathan said that God had delivered them not into his own hand, but into the hand of Israel. So in other words, he saw the victory as a victory, not just for Jonathan, to make Jonathan's name great, to you know, give him the fame and the glory or anything like that. No, his heart was so precious. He saw the victory as a victory for his own nation. Now I'm here to tell you that every blessing, anointing, revelation, uh, you know, breakthrough, provision, everything that comes to you actually has been given, not just for you, but to serve the body of Christ. Hallelujah. It's to enrich the body at large. Amen. So in, in the end, everyone begets blessed because of the faith of one or two. And you can see this in the scripture. These, this one or two, Jonathan and his armor bearer, created, caused a massive victory for the whole nation. So whatever gift and talent and blessing you have or revelation, that's to bless the whole body. Wow. So that the new nation, the holy nation of God can advance. Amen. And that's why for me, it's always a real joy to see other brothers and sisters in Christ flowing in their gifts and abilities. Hallelujah. I've learned not to be jealous of other ministers that are just full of the Holy Ghost and seeing great results or other men and women of God are being raised up to prosper and to really, you know, finance and fund projects or people who have just got incredible revelation of the scripture. I've learned not to be jealous because actually all of every single gift uh, is a gift to the body. It makes the church okay, better and more blessed and, and grow and expand and walk in higher levels of faith and revelation. So hallelujah, every single one of us has got one of these gifts and talents. And that's why we're all called to be a blessing to the body of Christ. Hallelujah. And be uh, a blessing to others all around us. Now, obviously, this is, as I said, it's a contrast between Jonathan and Saul. See, Saul actually was a jealous man. He refused to be used by God when, when uh, Goliath turned up and here against the Philistines. But then at the same time, he attacked those who were used by God. And we'll see that again here. He attacked David after David had taken on his giant. Goliath was actually Saul's problem, not David's. But after David had won, instead of, you know, kind of rejoicing, in the end, Saul tries to kill David. And here you're going to see that actually Saul even tried to kill his own son after this victory. You see, 
Let's stick to the, 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 the logic of the story there, or the timeline here. The Bible says that when they arrived at the summit, okay, that the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer who came up behind him, and his armor-bearer actually killed them, okay? So, and, and then the scripture says that there was a great earthquake which caused so much confusion in the Philistine camp that the soldiers began to attack one another and then fled, literally, all 30,000 of them. An extraordinary feat when they arrived up there. Now, I want to show you this, that it's clear that supernatural power was involved in this moment. Hallelujah. They stepped out in faith, but I tell you, the Lord came in like a mighty rushing wind, and, and it was His power that caused those things to happen. Well, firstly, as I said, because the Bible actually says they fell before Jonathan, but they were killed before the armor bearer. So it seems to suggest that they literally couldn't stand in Jonathan's presence. Why? Because the power of God was all over him. You say, well, that's kind of interpreting scripture a bit too far. Well, maybe, but we know that in similar fashion, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, they too fell to the ground when Jesus turned to look at them. You see, when the presence of God is around, supernatural power is released. It was the armor bearer that killed them, not Jonathan. Hallelujah. But the second thing uh, that it mentions is a massive earthquake. And in scripture, when there are earthquakes, these are signs that angels are present for battle. Hallelujah. Scripture says that when the walls of Jericho fell, there was a great earthquake. When the angels destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, there was an earthquake. When the Lord cried out on the cross, it is finished, there was also an earthquake. In fact, Scripture says that darkness covered the earth, and that was a sign that the enemy was defeated and the terror of God had come down on him. Hallelujah. When the angel rolled back the stone of his grave, the Bible says there was an earthquake. Hallelujah. So the principle is really clear. Okay, when we act upon God's promises, the angels of God are released to aid us to fulfill the task at hand. Hallelujah. We're not walking alone at all. Hallelujah. So I want to now come to the, the head of this message, the conclusion of this message. And the final point that I want to bring to you is to show you that actually there's a difference in religion and true faith as shown in this story. And I really want to get you to get this because we are talking about having victory against the odds. The Lord is with you. You, go, you step out in faith. You speak out the promises. You depend upon his anointing, his finished work. When you declare that, the Holy Spirit gets in action. But this final point, I want to show you that, please, we're talking about dynamic faith here. We're not talking about being religious, okay? We're not talking about following a whole set of rules and regulations to get God to bless you in your circumstances. You know, in this account, Saul, uh, at the end of that, uh, uh, when there was an earthquake, Saul then makes an extraordinary oath, a vow. And he says that, Whoever eats any food that day would be cursed and cut off from Israel. Okay, so the, think with me. The Philistines are fleeing. Now, the rest of the Israelite army get involved in the action. But then Saul does this kind of religious thing. Okay, he stops, says, I want to make an oath to God. I want to make a vow that whoever 
um, eats today will be cursed and cut off from Israel. And what he was doing was this religious ritual to try and get God to bless him and to get the victory. And then by doing so, he could have claimed that it was his oath and his commitment and covenant with God in that moment that had caused the victory. But actually, as we know, it was nothing to do with that. It was to do with Jonathan's faith. Now, coming back to the story, Jonathan didn't hear that his father had made that decree. And after a long day of battle, and of course, he was right at the front end, uh, he reached out, the Bible says, with his rod, took some honey and ate it in order to revive himself and give him strength. But here's the extraordinary thing. When Saul, his father, heard about this, he demanded that his own son be put to death. Wow, extraordinary how religious people just lose sight of everything, okay? They become so bound in their own uh, uh, religious processes, their own rules and regulations, that they can't even recognize when the hand of God is upon somebody, when somebody's acting in faith, when the favor of God, they wanna, they want, they attack the very thing that God is using. And wow, is that not true today? Those who are now preaching about the grace of God are being so attacked by religious people is extraordinary. Uh, I know you are not one of those because you're tuned into us, but let me show you it here in the scripture. It's interesting that the people though intervened and this is just the glory of what's happening in the body of Christ today. People are rising up and saying, listen, the, the hand of God is upon this movement. Amen. Don't touch Jonathan. They literally came against the king who represents the religious system. And this is what they said. Shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one of his uh, hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan and he did not die. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, the enemy had been defeated and Saul was supposed to chase and kill off the remnant who were still alive. But instead, he tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. It was a complete inversion of values, okay? And as we've read, when Saul saw the confusion in the Philistine camp, he was more concerned with who was missing from the group than in defeating the enemy. This is pure legalistic religiosity. Religion, my friend, is full of rules and regulations rather than simple dynamic faith. And so instead of chasing the Philistines, in, what he did was he stopped in order to confront his son. And so actually the enemy escaped to fight again on another day. Oh, tragedy. And you see that Saul had made an oath of not eating and tried to, uh, in order to obtain God's favor. And religious people do that the whole time. They kind of try and do trade with God. If I do this, Lord, you do that with me. And food, interestingly, is, can often be used in a very legalistic way to try and get God to bless you. But God doesn't bless you according to food, my friend. God bless you when you have faith in the grace of God. Hallelujah. At the heart of every religious system is self-righteousness rather than faith in the goodness and the righteousness of God. And so, just finalizing here, okay, the main difference between father and son, between Saul and Jonathan, is that Saul worked for God, but the Bible says that Jonathan worked with God. I don't know if you can flip back to that last scripture, okay, for he has worked with God this day, talking of Jonathan. Now, that's 
a massive, massive difference. When we do things for God, we don't really care if, it's, uh, if we're doing his will or not. But when we work and do things with God, then it's his spirit who's directing us. We can do things for God by following our own ideas, but when we do things with God, we're following his direction. We're in that unity. We're in that place of sensitivity with his spirit. Hallelujah. So, my friends, to finalize today, I want you to encourage you, okay, to be like Jonathan in these different aspects. Be full of active, living faith, not full of religious superstitions that try to do trade-offs with God. God has already given you victory against your enemies, so don't be afraid of his threats. I don't know what odds are against you right now, but I guarantee you this, God is going to grant you a great victory, okay? Your time for blessing has come. The boldness of the Spirit, just as it was in Jonathan, is upon you. So pull out that sword of the Spirit, okay? Overcome all the attacks of the enemy against you. God is for you. He's not against you. God is with you. He's not a a long way away. The victory has been fought and won. No matter the odds, the covenant God is on your side. Hallelujah. And I want you now to take the written word. Maybe go off from this teaching speak it out wherever you are and your mountains are gonna be removed your giants will tumble and the enemy is going to flee from you and it's going to be a great day of victory for you and if you agree with what i'm saying then i want you to say amen well thank you so much for tuning in today and we like to finish with an opportunity for people to give their lives to christ and if you've never done that before say these words after me lord jesus come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And I thank you for a new heart and a new start. Amen. And we believe that you've now been born again. And we encourage you to join a Christ-centered church in your area. God bless you. To acquire more teachings to help you grow in wisdom and grace, check out our website, thegreatmission.org, where you can order paper copies or Kindle versions of inspiring materials, such as, There's a Miracle Coming Your Way. Finally, we would also ask you to consider becoming a partner of TGM, The Great Mission. Through a network of missionary evangelists, we are holding events in Asia, Africa, and South America to get the gospel of grace in word and action to hundreds of families every month. We hold grace festivals where multitudes of needy people have received food parcels and been transformed by the message of God's goodness and grace. By becoming a monthly partner, you can be part of a worldwide harvest of souls. Thanks for your consideration.